A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health. Welcome to A Space to Speak Your Mind, a radio programme and a podcast about mental health and well-being made by people with lived experience in association with Cornwall Mind. We do occasionally cover subjects that some listeners may find distressing. For more information, help and support, please visit cornwallmind.org. I'm Richard and welcome to the November show. On this programme, Olympic gold medalist Sam Quick will be telling us why we shouldn't feel mom guilt but embrace parenting pride. We'll learn how the Mr Men and Little Miss books are helping teach young children about mental health with child psychologist Dr Elizabeth Kilby. As more than a third of school children are experiencing poor mental health, we hear from Katrina Olsen from King's Inter High and we'll have an update with Joe from Cornwall Mind. That's all on this month's show. A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind. Dr. Elizabeth Kilby is a clinical psychologist who spent the last 15 years working with children and has teamed up with family favourites Mr. Men and Little Miss to create resources to help adults have difficult conversations with their kids. And she joins me now. Hi there. Hello. So how did this idea come about? Well, I am passionate about the Mr. Men and Little Miss series. It was something that I read when I was younger that was read to me. So when the opportunity came to get involved with the new Discover You series, which is about taking the characters that we all know and love and using them to tell stories about everyday emotions that children and young people might experience. Well, this was an opportunity that I just couldn't pass up. So what new titles have been created, especially for this project? Well, we've got so far 10 fantastic new titles, and they are things that I think parents will really relate to in terms of what their children experience. So we've got I am angry and feeling sad and being kind and worries. These are just some of the examples of how we've taken the Mr. Men characters who normally have their own story to tell about their characteristic and use those to kind of tell stories about the kind of interactions that occur between all of us every day that can result in us feeling cross or upset or sad about something and then how the Mr. Men tackle that. Yeah, I mean, I remember the the Mr. Men series from when I was a child and they're so great, aren't they? Because they have that one basic characteristic which children can identify with. That is exactly it. That's exactly why they work so well, because they take characteristics that all of us have got in any given moment and make them sort of identifiable, sort of individual. And that really simplifies it and allows children to really explore and understand that characteristic in a very non-judgmental, kind of non-stigmatised way. I mean, Mr. Greedy is just Mr. Greedy. He's kind of accepted for that's who he is. And I think the great thing as well, from what I remember as a child as well, is you had the storyline and it always ended really well, no matter what the Mr. Men character was going through. They went through that journey and the child can follow that journey along, can't they? And that's the beauty of the stories, really. Every character has got their own kind of experience. And sometimes you don't need to change something about yourself. Like my favourite, well, whether it was my favourite or the one that people spoke about most in relation to me was Little Miss Chatterbox. And her story is fantastic because it kind of ends with her finding a job that's a pretty good fit for her chatterbox nature, which ironically is then what I managed to find to do. So it isn't always about having to change or modify those characteristics. Sometimes we're okay just the way we are. And I mean, what are the things that maybe historically we found with talking with children? Because mental health is such a difficult topic. Do you think things have got easier over time or do you think things are getting more difficult because of what children are faced with these days? I think the difficulty is around how hard it is to know how to talk about these topics. We're not very good at speaking about how we're feeling. You know, if you meet someone, you'll say kind of, how are you? And everyone says, yeah, you know, I'm fine. 
but actually are you? And it's really difficult to know how to have that emotional kind of conversation. So what we hope through the books is to be able to give parents the vocabulary at a level that young children can understand, to begin to talk about these things, to know how to label an emotion, to name what you're feeling in any given situation, and to talk a little bit about how that feels in your body, because that's the first steps of building emotional literacy, which is so vital for your mental well-being. And especially having those names, because I think for a child, you know, they may only relate to what they've been taught. So it may be just being happy or sad. And as you say, we have that default of always going to the one thing. But when you delve deeper and can give something a label or can give something a name, it helps. And even though that might not necessarily be the exact emotion that they're feeling, you're getting in the direction of being able to have that talk and maybe even take that further to identify exactly what that reason is or why they're feeling that particular emotion. So how do you think they will take to these new books? What are you hoping that they'll do as far as, is it a case of reading with them? Is it a case that the child will read and then maybe it will have that shared experience afterwards of what have you learned? How do you anticipate these books being used? So I would really hope that parents will be able to read the stories with their children because that means we can really make sure the messaging gets to younger children, for children who might not be able to read them to that level themselves. But also, even for older children who could read them, the real beauty of the stories is being able to have the conversation that follows on. So how did the character feel? And have you ever felt like that? And have I ever felt like that? And when we have felt like that, what could we do that was helpful? So it's all about sparking that conversation, particularly around this difficult topic of emotion. And even into young adulthood, the reason that 18 to 34 year olds are struggling to talk confidently about their mental health and emotions, is that an historical thing? And do you think that this will help in a sense that will open the conversation a little bit wider? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a difficult thing for all of us. And I'm always hopeful the next generation, the next kind of age cohort will be able to kind of tackle this difficult topic. But actually, I think it's a bit cultural. We still find it so hard to talk about our emotions and our feelings. Perhaps we think it's kind of linked to a sense of weakness or perhaps it's too revealing that we're kind of private about these things. But I would hope by bringing this topic to children at such a young age, then we could begin to kind of almost kind of open it up a little bit. And actually for the next generation coming through, that this is so something they've been so used to since they were little that actually they don't even question it. And hopefully we can move past this kind of stigma and limitations that we've got now. See, I'm even thinking for adults who don't speak openly to have the conversation with the children, they can also identify what they're going through. So if the parent's feeling angry or sad, they can sort of say, well, you know, this is like the character that we've been reading about. This is what mommy and daddy are going through at the moment. You know, it kind of opens that conversation to a wider aspect of the family life, maybe. Absolutely. And that's exactly it, isn't it? Because emotions are something that we feel all the time and they're they're always there. It's very ordinary. It's very normal. And what I want for children is to be able to talk about them like they talked about what they did at school or, you know, what they might have for dinner, because that takes some of the sort of quietness, the secrecy about it adds to the sort of sense that you're quite alone and you've got to deal with those feelings by yourself. And the idea that you have got some words to be able to talk about this. You know, it's really powerful hearing a small child go, I am really angry about this. And you're like, yeah, you are. I can see that. Absolutely. What might you do? As opposed to kind of instead being consumed as feeling very angry and maybe acting out on that instead. So, you know, bringing this language for me is the vehicle for allowing something different to happen. And I guess really when you've identified that, you can have the conversations about how do you deal with that? And obviously that builds the emotional intelligence then for the child to be able to deal with those situations in the future. That's exactly it. So what are your top tips then to get kids talking and managing their mental health? Well, just talking about the emotions, it's all the stuff we've been talking about here, noticing it, labelling it, helping other people identify it, talking about your own emotions, because, you know, there's nothing more powerful for children 
than seeing adults modeling the kind of behavior that we want for them. So all of that good stuff that we know already. But then other really great advice around being active, being physical. We know that's so good for our mental well-being, finding a bit of peace of mind, of quiet of mind through things like mindfulness. And last of all, my absolute favorite, sleep. Sleep is so, so important for our mental well-being. So really trying to preserve good quality sleep. And where can we find out more about these new Mr. Men and Little Miss titles? Well, I just want to direct parents to go and have a look at the new Discover You series. All of the information, the new titles and some fantastic storytelling videos are available on the MrMen.com website. That's Dr. Elizabeth Kilby, who's a clinical psychologist. Thank you so much for being here on the show today. Thanks now. Thank you. Bye-bye. A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind. 93% of parents experience guilt about not spending enough time with their children, with half of parents feeling under pressure when reading parent guilt headlines. And the top proud moment from those asked is the moment seeing their child do well at school. Olympic gold medalist Sam Quek is championing parents' pride and she's here to tell me why. So good to have you on the show, Sam. Thank you, Richard. I'm very uh, happy to be here. So the pressure we have as parents plays hugely on our health and well-being. So what made you want to take action? To be honest, well, I am a mum. I have a one and a half year old son called Zach and a two and a half year old daughter called Molly. So I am well in the thick of the whole parenting and experiencing new things, experiencing mum guilt. And when Halibut Orange came out with the research that 95% of UK mums admit to feeling mum guilt daily, it actually made me a little bit shocked to the point that actually that many mums are feeling guilt on a regular basis. And it's a very negative feeling. And I am one of them, but also felt a little bit of comfort that actually it's not just me. This is happening across the board. And it almost made me realise why are we thinking so negatively of ourselves? We are constantly thinking, I didn't do this. I didn't do a home cooked meal. I didn't get them out of the house on time. I was 10 minutes late for dance class, whatever it was that you didn't do or you wish you could have done better. And we never talk about what we did well or what we managed to achieve that day, regardless of how big or small it is. So yeah, you got the kids out the house. It doesn't matter. It was 10 minutes late. You got them out the house and to a dance class. And that is a little win. And this is what we're going to call parent pride. It's ending the mum guilt and focusing on the parent pride because it's so important to focus on the positives. Yeah, absolutely. And you've written an open letter. Tell me about that. Yeah, definitely. It's calling an end to mum guilt, to be honest, and also encouraging people to join the movement, to join the pledge, using the hashtag end mum guilt or hashtag parent pride to make people realise also you're not in it alone and that the little wins are so important to keep you as an individual, as a parent, as a mum, almost not motivated because we have the motivation, but the realisation of you are doing your best. That's all you can do. You are juggling so many balls in life, work, parents, washing, pets, your parents, appointments, school, nursery. You are juggling all these different things. And actually, if you drop a ball, that's not an issue. It's not a problem because look, the plates are all spinning absolutely fine. So it is, it's just starting the movement of parent pride and you are doing a brilliant job at what you do. And you know what? It is hard and it's okay to say it's hard. So how do we go about celebrating these positive achievements that you've talked about? Those little wins. So how do we make the most of them? Definitely. It's just the acknowledgement, really, and making your mindset change. But that's so much easier said than done. From my experience, I know that I'm a working mum and there's extrinsic ways where you feel guilt. So from me, in my own mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, I've been to work. I'm going away for maybe 24 hours, 48 hours. 
having seen the kids three days out of the week instead of how many days and I'm constantly having these mind games so I think okay to make up for it I'm going to go to the shops I'm going to fill the fridge full of food I'm going to do all the washing I'm going to get dried I'm going to get it folded I'm going to get the clothes out and my husband's like Sam what are you doing you just need to chill I can do that type of stuff and relax stop feeling so guilty for being a working mum And it's only when I step back and realize that I realize you are right. Just be you. What you're doing for the kids is so much more than what you're not. I'm being a role model. I'm going out there and I'm earning an income to give them the best possible start that they can have. But it's also part of ours is the pledge of using the hashtag parent pride so that when you go on social media, you can see the unfiltered parts of being a parent the small little wins because it's so easy to be swept up in this day and age of the perfect family picture the perfect family outing sandwiches which are cut as dinosaurs and I ain't got time to cut my sandwiches like dinosaurs so it's it's making people realize you are just as a good of a mum as the mum who's made dinosaur sandwiches to what you are if you've just cut a square sandwich and that's what it's about it's about the small wins yeah and you mentioned there about food obviously having a healthy balanced diet is so important for ourselves as well as our kids and just having the time and you know there are those tendencies sometimes we do the non-healthy option but having that balanced diet is so important a healthy body leads to a healthy mind so how tough is that as a mom are there kind of tips that you can give as to how we can achieve that yeah definitely and again it's the recognition that it is tough it's the time it's the money it's the ideas And then even if you've made the perfect, healthy, home-cooked meal, it's then the battle of getting your child to eat it. Um, So there's so many hurdles and so many things which prevent you from actually just making a meal and your kids will eat it and they've got a healthy diet. But it's the realisation that you're trying your best. As long as you're trying to achieve that, that's okay. And there is going to be a day where, you know, your kid is only going to eat beige food. I mean, I went out the other day. I left the house at half eight. We had breakfast and then we went out to have lunch out and tea out. And I got home that night and the kids were fast, they were in bed. And I said to my husband, I was like, oh, the kids have had no really fresh food today. And he was like, yeah, and? And and then I I just started feeling bad because I know how important diet is. And he said, yeah, but Sam, the whole week they've had good, very well balanced diet and it's okay. And he's right because it's sometimes not achievable. But then also there's things which I do which help me. There are little sometimes shortcuts which are just as good. So halibut orange, I've got little vitamin drops for my children, which I stir into a yogurt. Which makes me think, okay, they've had that extra little boost through yogurt, through the vitamins there. Because also, being a parent, there's so many things that you learn on a daily basis. So the two-year checkup, I didn't realise my kids needed extra vitamins from an external source. So all these things are constantly coming in. And then I thought, well, Molly's two and a half. Now she's gone six months without these extra vitamins that she needs. So it's a constant battle. But all you can do is try your best. And everybody's different. Every scenario is different. So what more can we do for our children to make sure they've got a balanced diet? I think it's just giving them choice and varying the different experiences. You know, for me, again, I'm blessed with two sleepers and two eaters, but that still doesn't take away the stress at dinner time. I know with Zach, he is very much, if he doesn't like it, that's it. He won't even entertain trying it, let alone having it on the plate in front of him. But for me as a mum, my only advice would be just to keep on trying and trying. And again, it's that mum guilt. You're doing all you can to make your children eat healthily if they're not going to. I know it's frustrating and I've been out the patio door taking a few deep breaths and then come in and don't let that make you feel bad because you're doing all you can. That's probably my main message. And we talk about healthy diet and also healthy exercise. And I'm wondering, especially as a mum, how did you find was the best way of returning to exercise after becoming a parent? I found it quite tough. And even exercising, being pregnant, 
I had a miscarriage for my first pregnancy and then I was really paranoid afterwards thinking that I'd done everything, the whole guilt thing came in. So actually during pregnancy, I didn't really exercise that much. And then after pregnancy, I didn't really have the time. The only exercise I got was pushing a pram around the block. And again, I'm kind of like disregarding that as exercise. Well, that is exercise. Getting out into the fresh air, going for a walk, doesn't matter how fast or slow it is. That is exercise and it's important because everyone knows that's physically good for you, but it's also good for the mind. So now as a mum, I've gone back to hockey. It's two hours on a Wednesday night. It's a Saturday game. If it's a home game, it's, you know, half a day. If it's an away game, it can sometimes be the Friday night because we travel and play on the Saturday and I get back Saturday evening. And there's been times I've said to my husband, I'm not going to go to hockey because I've not seen the kids a lot and I feel bad for going. And he's the one that has to reassure me and say, no, Sam, go because it's good for you. And he's completely right. It doesn't matter how stressed or sad or rubbish I feel. The two hours on a Wednesday night, I play hockey. When I'm on the pitch, I forget about everything. And he says I have a glow when I get back. And it's the same as a Saturday because that's my me time. That's my time off. That's me just chilling with the girls. And that's me just being Sam. So being active, yes, it's important. But I think all the other stuff that comes with it, the social side, being able to laugh with other people is just as important. So um, I'll definitely try and keep that up for me as a mum, even if my skin schedule just become so busy. The local tennis club down here in Penzance, they've introduced walking tennis, which has really helped. I know a lot of mums have gone on to that and now they're doing the cardio tennis class. They've actually moved up and I think anything you can do that is a slow start, but just to get you back involved and, you know, as we say, physically and mentally healthy and the links between them are so, so entwined. It really does help, doesn't it, during that period of being a new parent? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just getting out there and speaking to other people. And I know there's some like parent exercise groups as well where mums can go and they can take their babies because especially as a youngster, if you don't have any childcare outside of your family and if your family are working, you can't go to a class because you've got your child and you have to take care of the baby. So there are even classes now where you can take your kids, whether they're tiny and they have them all in the middle or they call it mum and baby yoga. And it's that environment and what sounds like the tennis club are creating as well that actually no one's getting judged you're all trying your best you're coming down and if your child starts kicking off in the middle of a circle no one's judging you because you're all in the same situation so yeah if you can get out if you can be active there's so many benefits definitely for sure and that sounds like a great initiative by the tennis club yeah and also things like park run as well I know the local park run where I am have the children and toddlers and the prams and everyone joins in. It's just so good to see the whole family out and about. Yeah, absolutely. It's creating that environment, isn't it, where you feel like the whole family's welcome. Yeah, you don't want to turn up and think, oh no, my kids are just screaming in the background. And where can we find out more about the topic that we've been talking about today? It's all mainly going to be on social media. So the hashtags girl and hashtag parentpride. And of course, Halib Orange will have it across their Instagram as well. But yeah, just a call out really to let's just embrace our parent moments and our little small wins. That's what we want to see. It's easy to see the perfect parenting or the perfect family doing everything to the textbook, which is great. And I thoroughly envy those people. But also the reality is that it's tough out there. But we're all in it together and let's just hopefully focus on the positives and the small wins. That's Olympic gold medalist Sam Quick. Thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you. A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind. On our July show, while the summer holidays were in full flow, we spoke to Sam West from King's Inter High to talk about how online learning could benefit our children. 
Now that half-term has been and gone, and we're on to that road to Christmas, we're finding that more than a third of school children are still experiencing poor mental health in new findings, with just over a fifth of parents waiting until half-term before making any changes for their child. And 17% say that their children are supported, but there is room for improvement. To find out more, I'm joined by Katrina Olsen, who's the head of senior school at King's Inter High. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So why do you think so many children's mental health is being affected at school at the moment? Well, there's so many different factors, as we know, that will contribute towards a young person's mental health. But we've got to half term now. We're six, seven weeks into the half term and students can just really start to feel the effects. We've got students in physical schools where there's so many elements that can really compound their mental health issues that we have to be there to support them with. Is it a common theme at this time of year with half term? We've got the factors, the weather, people coming back that may not have been in education for a period of time because we've obviously had a couple of years of so much disruption. Is it a common factor that this is the time of year that we find these difficulties? And is it especially when children are moving classes or having new teachers or moving up into secondary school? Yeah, you've pointed out some of those pinch points of when there can be issues. Students moving into year seven, new school, new challenges for them. We find a lot of students moving into year 10. It's that first kind of pressure point of where external exams are looming, but also they're at that 14, 15 year old horrible time of your teenage years where really everything is very impactful on you and your mental health. So what can teachers and also so parents do to make sure that children are enjoying their education? It's a very broad question. Um, so parents obviously need to make sure to keep talking to their young people. And I know that sounds hard when you're talking about teenagers as well, who are not very forthcoming in their conversations. But it's really trying to spot when it's just a normal teenage angst or actually when this is a problem that your child is not enjoying schooling for whatever reasons there are. We need to know that there are alternatives. You don't have to go to the school down the road. You can go to an online school. You can go to alternative education. But that would be up to the parent to decide whether it's the environment that is affecting their child rather than any other issues as well. And in the same breath, the school also needs to support the child by having lots of support in place so that they can seek help when they need it. I suppose the worry is that we're hoping that over time things might get better and that maybe a disruption or a change might make things worse. So at what point is it that we think actually this is the time that we're making the change? And is it as we are approaching this time of year or should we be thinking, well, we'll just step back a little bit and just see how things go over the next few weeks up until Christmas? I think that's really up to the family. You'll know how long already your child may have been struggling in their current environment or with their mental health. A teenager, especially, I always think about teenagers, but their moods can be in peaks and troughs. They can be really enjoying school one week and not the other. And that's okay. But it's if you're child is persistently low mood and not enjoying the school environment that I would say you need to start looking at what you can do about it. If you just leave it and hope that they come out the other side without any support, I wouldn't say it's going to be a very successful strategy. Either get support in place to help them to deal with the environment or look at alternatives. We had so many parents that come to us and say, I wish we found you sooner because 
you've really changed our child's life. And I just think of that. It's difficult as a parent to think, okay, is this just a phase or is this something that I need to support my child with? But reach out for support, reach out for professional support if you need it as well. And what do you think is the initial best response? Is it speaking to the individual teacher? Is it going to the head of the school? Or is it talking to other parents that the child might be in class with and seeing if it's a common problem? Yeah, it all depends on the context, really. But I would always be first port of call would be to speak to the school. Every child has a tutor or form tutor or whatever pastoral system they have in place in the school or head of year. Definitely always speak to them. Schools always have guidance for you and steps that you can go through to try and support your child. But that would be the first port of call, I would say. And are schools actually improving? I know we're talking about alternatives that might be in place, but do you think that there is now things around mental health that will help children and maybe it's less of a stigma to be able to say my child is struggling because I guess in previous times we might have thought that that would be detrimental, but now actually talking about mental health and saying, you know, this is something that's affecting my child. Do you find that they are more supportive when you raise that issue? Definitely. You know, I started teaching nearly 20 years ago now and at that time, There was never a mention of students' mental health. You know, it wasn't a part of our pastoral offer to students. But as we've grown and developed as society, and as you say, the stigma is taken away from talking about your mental health, then schools are offering more support to students. And it's not just kind of one size fits all for students either. You know, students have a variety of different unique issues that they want support with. So it's you can no longer go down the route of just one school counsellor who's a specialist in one area. We need to look at a breadth of support for students in school so that we can support all of their unique situations. And you have mentioned there already that there are different ways that children can be educated now. So just run us through some of the alternatives that there are to the regular school system. Yes, so we at King's Inter High, we offer a fully online alternative to going to a physical school. So we try to emulate the physical school environment as much as possible. A student will have a a timetable to follow with live teacher, just like me, sitting behind the camera, engaging them in their learning. We have assemblies and form tutors and we have clubs in the afternoon. And we even do physical meetups as well for subjects and for social meetups as well. So we find the biggest benefit for students, especially those struggling with their mental health, is that an online environment doesn't have those distractions of the physical school. You don't have that peer pressure that often comes alongside it as well. So where can we find out more information about online learning for our children? Yeah, you can go to our website, kingsinterhigh.co.uk. We have lots of information on there, including student stories and blogs and information about how it all works. Thanks so much. That's Katrina Olsen, who's the head of senior school at Kings Inter High. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Richard. It's a space to speak your mind. And now time for Joe from Cornwall Mind to give us an update on what's happening this month. A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind. We've now launched our peer recovery groups, which are brand new. They happen once a month and they're in Lou, Liscard, St. Austell and Newquay. We've also got one that's launched in Bude and that's weekly. They're for anyone over 18 that wants to improve their well-being. It's just a safe place for people to get together and share and understand and benefit from peer support. And it's an ongoing group. So it's not a time limited group, which is great. It's plenty of time to chat. They're really relaxed, get to take part in well-being activities. And it's just to encourage you to think more positively about the future. And it can really help to know that you're not alone in how you're feeling. The groups also help people build resilience and improve your quality of life. This can really help us to stay well and feel good about ourselves. 
So if you visit our website, Cornwall Mind, you can refer yourself to those groups. We've got a very simple online referral form. And as I say, they're open to anybody and there aren't any waiting lists. So we can get you involved really quick and it'd just be great to see you. Just want to say a huge thank you to all our fundraisers. We're just so grateful for all the support that we get. A lot of people think that they're raising money for us by choosing to fundraise for Mind. And that's great because it's really important. Minds do such brilliant work and support us as a local mind. And although we're affiliated to Mind, we are an independently registered and funded charity. So if you choose to support Cornwall Mind, every penny that we receive stays in Cornwall and gets spent directly on helping people that are struggling with mental health problems in our local communities. But obviously, whoever you support, you're showing you care about mental health. And that just means the world to us. It was World Mental Health Day on the 10th of October. And just wanted to say a thank you to Falmouth Princess Pavilions for having us. So we had a table with lots of information on the day. And it was fantastic just to meet the community. It was a day to raise awareness of mental health problems. More of us are aware of mental health now, and that's brilliant. But so many of us still aren't getting the right support. So it's just time to really act on that and just to reach out to people and encourage people to come forward for support when they need it. So it was a great day. There was a brilliant vintage market and there was a singer. And we just saw loads of people. It was really good fun and just really good to raise that awareness about mental health. And don't forget, you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn at Cornwall Mind. And we've always got all the latest news there so you can keep up to date with what's happening. And visit our website, cornwallmind.org. We've got a news page. We've got a referral form. We've got all our services. So hopefully you'll find everything you need. And if not, there are contact details and you can get in touch with us via email or telephone. A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind. If you missed anything on today's show, you can download the podcast right now. We're on Apple, Spotify and Amazon Podcasts. And for support and more information for better mental health, visit cornwallmind.org or call the Mind Helpline during office hours on 0300 123 3393. There's also a 24-7 NHS local urgent mental health response phone line, which is free to access by anyone, any age on 0800 038 5300. And don't forget, you can call the Samaritans anytime for free on 116123. And you can find all those details as well on the Cornwall Mind website. If you'd like to be part of next month's show, get in contact with us. You can email us space to speak your mind at gmail.com and also follow us on Twitter at a space to speak or like us on our Facebook page. That's all for this month's show. I'm Richard. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to you joining us next time here on a space to speak your mind. A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health.